GitLab is an open source platform for software development. GitLab started with the ability to manage Git repositories and now has functionality for collaboration, issue tracking, continuous integration, logging, and tracing. GitLab's core business is selling to enterprises who want a self-hosted Git installation, such as banks or other companies who prefer not to use a Git service in the cloud. The vision for GitLab is to provide a platform for managing the full software development lifecycle, from code hosting to deployment, as well as tools for observability and project management. Sid Sibrangi is the CEO of GitLab, and he joins the show to talk about the product, the business, and the company's ambitious vision for the future. GitLab's strategy is to offer a set of tools that work for developers out of the box, cutting down on time spent integrating each individual vendor. It's really an ambitious vision, but it actually makes a lot of sense if you hear Sid explain it, and it was really fun talking to him in this interview. I enjoyed it quite a lot, and I want to thank the Linux Foundation for inviting me to the Open Source Leadership Summit, which is where I spoke with Sid. That was a lot of fun. Before we get started, I want to mention two events that we are having in person. On April 3rd, we are having a Software Engineering Daily meetup with Hasib Qureshi, a frequently requested guest on the show. Hasib is a speaker who can talk about career development, software engineering, cryptocurrency investing. He was previously an engineer at Airbnb and is now an investor. So that's at softwareengineeringdaily.com slash meetup. And the other event is the hackathon that we're putting on. You can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash hackathon. That's April 6th at App Academy in San Francisco. And you should sign up now because we're going to have limited seating for both of those events. The hackathon is for anyone who's working on an open source project, a business, an artistic project that is somewhat technical. And we're going to be using the platform that I'm building called Find Collabs, which is a platform for finding collaborators for your projects and building new things. So if you want to check that out, you can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash hackathon. Or you can see the product that I'm referring to called Find Collabs at findcollabs.com. And the hackathon has a $5,000 prize purse. So there is a competition element to it and some money to be won. But it will also be a ton of fun. So I hope to see you check it out. You can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash meetup for that meetup details and softwareengineeringdaily.com slash hackathon to find out more about our hackathon. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll enjoy the show. Sid Sabrangi, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. Before we discuss GitLab, I want to start with the topic of Git itself. So Git was initially just this version control system built for Linux, but it's evolved to become a tool that's foundational for software engineering. Why has Git had such a big impact on the world of software? I think because it was the first distributed version control system, or almost it shares that honor with Mercurial, that that was open source. And when people hear distributed, maybe it doesn't resonate why that's important. I think that the reason that's important because before you could 
fork off a project, but you can never bring them back together. And because Git was made from the ground up to be forked off and be merged back together, it became much easier to collaborate. Before, if you wanted to collaborate, you had to get invited. So it was like, okay, I want to contribute to your software. Can I please have access on your SVN server? And then there was like, they said, oh, well, you're good enough, etc. So much friction. With Git, it was like, as soon as you can read the software, you can make an improvement to it. And only then people have to decide whether they want to incorporate that. So it, uh, from having to be invited to the party to everyone is welcome. And I think that's why it uh, revolutionized software development. And now even infrastructure, you have people saying that, that GitOps version control, like your, your changes in infrastructure is one of the best things that happened. And I, I think it's going to revolutionize more book writing. But even hmm. see we see a future where all digital culture goes from read-only to read-write. When you now view a movie, you get a binary. You get the end of res result. Why not give people access to all the raw camera feeds and all the editing information so people can improve upon it? And do you think Git is the medium for that? For now, it's looking like Git has a lot of momentum and, and there's a lot of companies investing in, in making sure that Git can ever grow more capable and, and deal with large files and a lot of files. So I think Git has a good shot at it. So you think Git could potentially be the underlying medium for managing art projects and design specs and blueprints and music files? I do, I do think so. Hmm. What are the different business models that people have built around Git? So there's, there's different things. I, I think uh, we have a, a famous competitor called GitHub, and they said, look, Git is great, but it's hard to use. So we'll make an easier interface and on top of it. And everything they built on top of Git, or not everything, but, but to a large extent, that was proprietary. We came after them and we said, even the stuff we built on top of it, to a huge extent, that's going to be open. So a more open core business model. But of course, there's also a lot of companies that just use Git as a part of their day-to-day -day activities. And they're not known for, for that, but uh, it, it's helping them be more effective. GitLab's core business is the self-managed Git. Why is the market for self-managed Git increasing? Yeah, I was kind of puzzled by that. I started with GitLab.com. I thought the SaaS is the, is the future that will make all the money. And uh, today we have a great SaaS offering, GitLab.com. It's used by millions of users. But a lot of companies, especially the larger ones, they prefer to run their own installation of GitLab. And we made that super simple. So maybe that's one of the reasons it's popular. But also where your data is getting much more important and integrating with other tools tends to be easier if you run it for yourself. Many of the older organizations that are adopting Git today, they still have older version control systems in place. And they're going through this migration path of moving from one version control system to another. What does the the adoption path look like for an older company, like a bank that's migrating to Git today? Yeah, most uh, companies have things like ClearCase or SVN or Proofforce in them. And most of them, when they adopt GitLab, they stand up one of their newer teams with Git. And then over time, they invite other teams in their company to convert. And when, when the time has come for them, they convert their uh, code to the new format and they uh, 
they they start off and this has been easier than many people anticipated most of the time the adoption of of gitlab goes twice as fast as the company had anticipated so we tell them it's pretty easy your engineers will love it and they will they will adopt it and they say well that might be true but we've never implemented something faster than xyz then six months later we're double the rate so GitHub is a social network built on Git, and GitLab also has social elements. Describe how individuals communicate on GitLab. Yeah, I think GitLab, in contrast to GitHub, is more commonly used with a team of coworkers. So to simplify it a bit, where GitHub is closed source software that's used to develop open source software, GitLab is to a huge part open source software that is used to make closed source software. So most of the people using GitLab, they use it in their day job. They maybe use it in a, as a hobby, but it's where GitHub is used for the majority of open source. GitLab is used by the majority of enterprise companies to develop software. For many years, GitHub was by far the biggest company that had been built around Git. Why did it take so long for another business model around Git to be found? You have to ask my co-founder, Dimitri, why he started this only in 2011. That was the year that he needed something uh, like GitHub and his company wouldn't pay for it. And he couldn't pay for it either. Um, he was living in the Ukraine. He uh, Every morning he went to a well to get water. He came home with a few buckets. But he was very determined to have great collaboration software and he set off and said i can make it myself and and a year later 300 people joined him so as we've said gitlab's primary customer base is these uh on-prem installations how does the usage of on-prem git differ from somebody who's using git as a SaaS? i think there's not a big difference with uh gitlab even even the on-prem installations most of them run in the cloud it's the same software. So if you use GitLab.com or a self-managed instance, it's the same exact same software you're running. I think the difference is uh, on a SaaS, there tends to be a million users on the installation. With a self-managed one, it's just the people at your company and some suppliers. So it's, it tends to be in the thousands. Although there's companies running installations with more than 30,000 people. And do customers pay you just for the initial integration or is there also ongoing support? Yeah, there's... Uh, the majority of our income is a subscription. So you pay per user per year. Okay. And they're paying for for the on-prem version plus some additional features? Our pricing is the same between the on-prem or the self-managed version and uh, .com. And you pay for extra features and support. The majority of, of, of what people pay for is the extra features. So we have three paid plans and depending on the plan you get more proprietary features and those features are aimed at the leadership and the organization so if something is mainly required by individual contributors it's open source if something is mainly requested by executives it's in our highest paid plan mm. what are some of those executive features that people want for example a roadmap of all the company initiatives a value stream management where you can see how you, what your release cycle looks like and, uh, and a security overview throughout the company of any vulnerabilities that exist. Mm. And 
what's the typical sales process like for GitLab? Like if a large enterprise starts using it and maybe they start using the free version, they end up making a purchase, what does that sales roadmap look like? Yeah, we're, we're basically, we have four different types of buyers. We have the people that don't buy, the individual contributors. And that's like 90% of the users of GitLab are on the free version. Then we have uh, small and medium businesses, and it's mostly self-serve. So they go to our website and they purchase a subscription there. You have the mid-market, and that's uh, we call that sales-assisted or inside sales. So they can reach out to salespeople, but in the end, they, they are directed to our self-serve side to make the actual purchase. Then we have the top of the market, that's enterprise sales. That's a strategic account leader, solution architect, visit the customer, and, and those tend to be the larger deals. Now, from a product standpoint, what I find really interesting about GitLab is the vision that you've laid out to go after the full stack of software delivery. And I think to some people listening, it might not be intuitive why Git is potentially a foundation for going after the full stack of the software um, life cycle. But I think continuous delivery, we could use that as as a good example. We can go through some other examples. Why is continuous delivery closely tied to a user's Git workflow? Yeah. Um, I think what you're seeing is that DevOps is getting more complex. There's more things to do. And people struggle with integrating all the different tools that they need for that. Um, at a typical enterprise company we encountered, there's like between 50 and 100 people working on integrating all those tools together. And that's undifferentiated heavy lifting. They, they could share that burden with other companies. So what GitLab has evolved from just being version control to being 10 times more. So you can manage across the organization. You can plan what you're going to build. You can create that with a web ID in GitLab. You can verify that your code is performant and that the tests pass. You can package that all up. You can deploy that. You can configure that. You can monitor that and make sure it's secured and defended against attacks. So that's a way bigger scope. And we think that's way better in a single application. And that's not something that we decided, but it's something we, we learned. Hmm. Uh, we had a an engineer from Poland called Camille, and he made a better version for GitLab CI, our version, uh, our, our, our continuous integration platform. And we, we embraced that and we said, okay, from now on, your version is the official version. By the way, do you want to come work with us? And he did that. <laughs> and, how, and a bit later, he, he came to Dimitri, my co-founder, and said, hey, we got to bring these two projects we had, GitLab version control and GitLab CI, we got to make them into one application. And Dimitri said, you're obviously wrong. Like, that's not how anybody else does it. We shouldn't make this monolith of an application. It will be disastrous for our code quality and for the user experience. And then they uh, they came to me after Dimitri was convinced. And they said, you're obviously wrong. We need to have tools that are composable that integrate with other tools. That's the Unix philosophy. And he said, well, if you don't believe that it's better for the user, at least believe it's more efficient for us because we only have to release one application instead of two. Efficiency is in our values. He was right. So I said, okay, well, that, that makes sense. I'm no longer going to stand in your way. And he did it. And he was he was right be, beyond what he even expected. 
it was a so much better experience to have the CI with the version control. If you're viewing like a commit to see, hey, here's the test that we run on that commit and to be able to switch that without like going to a new browser window and vice versa. And we realized we stumbled on a big secret, a secret not because we're not telling anybody, but because nobody believed us. And we doubled down on this philosophy and we started doing continuous delivery and many other things. And because of that, we're now able to do things that no one else can do. Uh, for example, uh, we're going to launch uh, auto remediation this year. And it means that if you run software in production and a new vulnerability comes out, say a heart bleed or something like that, GitLab is going to automatically detect which software is vulnerable. It's going to fix that, going to make a merge request for that, going to merge that, send that out with progressive delivery monitors whether it's going okay. If it doesn't go okay, it gets reverted and it opens up an issue for you to solve so that when you arrive at the at, at work, you don't have a hundred things you need to patch. You have that one thing that wasn't patched, that was patched, but showed, showed that it no longer met the service level objective. That is something that is really hard to build if you don't have everything in a single application because otherwise you have different definitions. You don't have the right monitoring data, etc. Everything needs to come together. And these are things that the more we integrate, the more value we can create for people. Okay, so I completely agree with that argument to a certain extent. So continuous integration, yes. Closely tied to your Git workflow, absolutely. Having that integrated sounds great to me. Um, And you can even take that one step further, perhaps, what you're saying with the uh, kind of static code analysis testing or vulnerability code testing. This is stuff that you want tightly in your, uh, either in your Git workflow or in your continuous integration workflow. But it's a slippery slope, right? If you go from there to monitoring and logging and um, Slack-type communication, you could eventually say, yeah, we actually need all of this stuff in one application. Why is that not a slippery slope? Um, it is a slippery slope. Now, I believe the slippery slope argument per se like, is, is, not a, is not a valid criticism. Like, We should be objective about every every single increment and, and not say, well, there's going to be increments in the future that don't work. Um, I agree like it doesn't become Fortnite eventually. Well, or maybe uh, it does. <laughs> I wouldn't object to the commercial <laughs> success of Fortnite. Uh, but we're not selling skins yet uh, or, or special packages like that. I do think uh, Slack is a good one because um, we seriously considered going into that business and we're bundling Mattermost with GitLab, an open source Slack alternative. Uh, that's great software, but we decided not to pursue that because we see in an organization what you want is you want the entire organization on one kind of chat platform. And uh, there's a, it needs to be extremely usable. The user friendliness is, is paramount and interface. There's not a big advantage to being able to churn out a lot of features. So we decided that that is not a core business for us. That's basically where we stop. All the other things are great. And I think you you might see that in monitoring. We used to have like logging separate from metrics and that's separate from tracing. What you're now seeing is that the combination is way better. I think Datadog did an awesome job allowing me to go from metrics to logging. And right now, a lot of monitoring companies are working on the trifecta. 
being able to see an error in metrics, then diving into uh, tracing to see where that slowness is coming from, and then going from tracing into the logs to see the exact error message. So integrated monitoring is better. Now that doesn't mean that it should be part of GitLab, but we think it should be, and it, it currently is. We have all these things in GitLab. And that allows us to not deploy into a black hole. Like, How can you do continuous delivery without knowing whether you delivered correctly? Right now, I, I see organizations and they're babysitting their deployments. It's like you have to say, oh, put out my deployment and then, then I'm going to watch the grass for half an hour. That doesn't make sense. A computer could watch those. A computer can be faster in reverting it if it's not looking good than a human can be. We should have the humans do something more useful and have the, have the progressive delivery being handled by GitLab. You set your objectives, like I want the error rate of this, I want the response time of this. And if it's looking worse, just revert it and try to fix it before you try again. So I, I do think monitoring integrated with the rest is, is a big advantage. So you have, a, you have monitoring integrated with the whole GitLab process, but that doesn't mean that you throw out your Datadog, you're saying? Because you have Datadog for doing other things than, than the Git workflow. Well, we don't require you to throw anything out. So we work fine with Datadog, with New Relic, but also with Jenkins, with GitHub, with Jira. Um, we don't want to be a closed platform. So embrace parts of GitLab because you like them, not because you're forced to. Mm. We do think it's great to offer kind of an out-of-the-box thing that works. If you install GitLab, you get Prometheus with it automatically. We think that's the future of metrics and want to make sure that's set up. As people develop more and more microservices, you don't want to go start a new microservice and then spend half a day making sure error tracking is set up and incident management is set up and metrics and logging and tracing. That should just work out of the box. The only thing you should have to do is install GitLab and start a new project. And we want to take care of the rest. And if you want to go use something else, that's totally cool. But I don't think it's, uh, that's an excuse for not having everything working out of the box. So a lot of companies have some kind of end-by-end integration challenge. So a lot of companies like that, that are logging providers or um, ops providers, I, I just i am thinking of... M- uh, marketing um, pages that I've seen where it says, you know, works with Slack, works with Datadog, works with AWS. And it, it, depending on what company it is, they might have to write the integrations or the other company might have to write the integrations. Um, it sounds like from your perspective, since you're open source, you kind of let other people write integrations and you just solve for the out of the box GitLab experience. Is that is that right? Exactly. So we too have hundreds of integrations and luckily <clears throat> we have millions of users. So if they need an integration, they will contribute it to GitLab. So mm-hmm. that's really helping. But I think what you can do if you're in a single data store, because GitLab is a single application, there's a single data store, a single concept of what an environment is, who a user is, what their rights are, what the application is. Because of that, we can integrate much more deeply than you'd be able to do through APIs. And I was skeptical of this. Like GitLab version control and GitLab CI were custom made for each other. We had like custom APIs in either of them to fit together perfectly. Mm. And still, when it's a single application, it becomes so much easier. So sometimes it feels a bit like we're cheating because 
we don't, when we make a new functionality, like we recently added feature flags, we don't have to integrate with the world. We know exactly where the application is and what, what its URL is and what environment it's deployed on because GitLab already did that. So it's much easier for the GitLab community to add a new feature to GitLab than it would be to make that a standalone company. So once you write feature flagging, as an example, you write your, your feature flagging for GitLab product and somebody else says, eh, you know, I'm going to stick with the feature flag vendor that I already have. Yeah, so they should probably use LaunchDarkly. That's a really good feature flagging tool. And that's great. They can just use that. Using something that's not GitLab is not any harder than it was. Okay. And so they don't. There's not really like an integration that needs to be written for a launch darkly plus GitLab. It will work the same whether you whether you use GitLab or you use GitHub or Bitbucket. Hmm. The, the hand the integration with a third party works the same. It's if you use something external, it's just as hard as before. If you use GitLab, it's way easier than anything else. Hmm. So this is interesting. I've I have talked to a few people about the GitLab strategies. So the product vision is this this ability to offer a, a highly integrated, easy-to-use platform for your full software development lifecycle. And people who have been in the software industry for a while, they look at that and they're like, they're biting off more than they can chew. That's That's really intimidating. But talking to you, it actually doesn't sound that intimidating. It sounds more like you're just trying to have nice defaults and allow people to opt into other vendors if they want to. That's that's totally true. And we have a company strategy that says breath over depth. So we want to, as a company, hmm. be continuously pushing out like what GitLab can do. Now, we start off really simple. Like our tracing support right now, it still depends on like a Jaeger thing, which you have easy access to, but it's not as integrated as we would like. But it takes time. We launched it last year, and it's going to take time to mature. Things that we launched in 2011, 2012, planning, creation, verify, those things are best in class right now. And they're not best in class because we have the most engineers. They're best in class because we got the biggest community. planning, creation, verify? Yep. So that's like an issue tracker. That's like the Git repositories and the CI. For example, GitLab CI was chosen by... Forrester to be like the best in the business. It's better than any other alternative out there, even pure place. Um, and that's because people contributed back to it. We have every month more than a hundred community contributions coming mm-hmm. in of people that use the software. So if we wanted to make everything with just GitLab team members, yes, it would, the, the strategy wouldn't work because you're missing like you have everything, but everything is not really great to use. It doesn't have all the features you need. But because people add the things they're missing, it gets better over time. And then after five to seven years, it is the best in the business. Has that strategy made the surface area of the product any harder to manage? It's been remarkable uh, that although we greatly like expanded the scope of the product, I think the user interface is, has gone better over time instead of worse. And so far, the technical complexity is also manageable. Uh, we expected that our development would slow down and all those other things that can happen when a project reaches a certain scale. 
And I think we have a pretty high quality code base. We've, we've chosen a good data model and people are able to add things without other things falling over. So, uh, so far, so good. So when you introduce something like tracing, you, so you have, you have distributed tracing in, in GitLab? Yeah, a very rudimentary implementation based on, on Jaeger. And just to give people more context for for how that works, like what am I embedding in my code, or what what kind of imports am I making, and does this only work during deployments, or is this just like constant monitoring? What does it look like? Yeah, it's constant monitoring, and I'm not an expert, but as far as I'm aware, you have to embed the Jaeger uh, agent in your uh, in your application. Okay. We have a technology called Auto DevOps, which means you just push your code, and then GitLab figures out how to build it, how to test it, uh, how to deploy it. And we're also looking forward to kind of automatically embedding these agents so that that just works out of the box. Mm. So do you have a feeling at all that you're competing with the other providers, like the the monitoring providers, or or would you not consider yourself competitive with them until you have what would feel like a first-class offering with within a given product category yeah i think i think it's too early of to call ourselves a competitor i'm sure that datadog has never lost a deal to <laughs> people that said i'm going to use GitLab monitoring <laughs> because it's it's rudimentary we started it like last year it's mm-hmm. it's still coming there but it's getting better and we'll uh, soon, like, be able to use it ourselves, and then we'll start seeing some other users starting to use it, and then we'll start seeing the contributions. And then mm-hmm. we know need those for multiple years before it's it's able to to compete in the marketplace. Who do the contributions to the open source project come from? What is the makeup of the community? It's it's very diverse, as you might uh, guess. It's mostly individual contributors at, at organizations. One very great development we're seeing is that big companies that are buying GitLab so that they don't have to have like 100 people working on their dev tooling integration anymore, they say, look, 90% of these people, they can work on something else, something that directly adds value for our business. But 10% of the people will keep because if there's a feature in GitLab that we're missing, we want to be able to add that within a month. So that gives GitLab even more contributions. So we're really encouraged by that development. So if I'm a company like a bank, an old large bank, and I'm adopting GitLab, the way that I start to adopt the fully integrated solution is that some individual small team within my organization is going to kind of be a trial user for it. That's what we see most of the time. Most of the time we come in and it turns out that there's already teams using GitLab. There's there's no big organization that doesn't have some GitLab servers running somewhere. Maybe the management isn't aware, but they're already using it. Then we come in and we talk uh, talk to the executives in the company, say, okay, let's do a proof of concept. We'll give our most cloud native, our most advanced teams, we'll give them GitLab because they need to be satisfied with what it has to offer. And I heard here uh, this yesterday that like most of the people deploying to Kubernetes are using GitLab right now. So hmm. every single time that team loves to use GitLab. So the proof of concept is a success and then they start embracing it. 
And for example, Goldman Sachs, one of the most advanced uh, financial services institutions in the world, they're based in GitLab. They thought it was so good. Not only did they adopt it, they even said, look, we're go- we want to invest in your company, offer our own balance sheet. We're, they participated in our in our Series D because they see that this solves a lot of problems that they were having before. They can get their cycle time, the time between deciding to do something and getting the code out. They can get it down from weeks to minutes. Tell me more about the, the struggles that they were having. The struggle is, um, for example, everything that goes out in a big bank has to be security tested. So you need the static code analysis, the dynamic code analysis, the container scanning, the dependency scanning. That used to happen when they were completely done with everything. When it was time to go live with something, then they ran those scans and they found stuff. If you can do that earlier, you save a lot of time. So with GitLab, as soon as people push their code, those scans run, even if it's not ready for production yet, but they get the feedback immediately. And the security team is able to see those things that show up in their dashboards. So here just earlier and they that all helps to compress the time it takes between making something and deploying it and monitoring what it does and at goldman sachs is still just very newer teams that are using it or has it propagated throughout the organization yeah now it's propagated we start with the newer teams uh, because they tend to be default leaders uh, in the organization but then the rest of the organization joins mm. so earlier we were talking about this idea of Git potentially being an underpinning for managing all these other kinds of file types. Uh, Do you have a vision for how that might unfold, or is that just too far in the future to actually think about? Yeah, um, it is is part of our our mission and our vision to to do this, to to change culture from read-only to read-write. in our seed round, for example, Aston Kutcher uh, participated because he's seeing the same thing, that things should be open to contributions, things like movies, but everything we interact with. Like, if I, I hope that one day in the future when I, when, I, when I use a chair and I'm not happy with the chair, <laughs> I can access its schematics and like suggest an improvement to it. For now, um, we're seeing that the next thing after code is probably going to be websites, uh, so static website. So we made a thing called GitLab Pages that allows you to host a static website. And one of the great things was someone contributed recently something that you can make private websites with that. So you have like access control on it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a public website. Pretty complex to make. Um, not something we were planning to invest time in, but someone needed that and they did that. So after websites, possibly books. There's a great uh, service called GitBook which is right now, if you read a book and you spot an error, like you have to email the author, you have to say like on this page of this pre- of this edition of the book, on this sentence, this letter, it doesn't make any sense. Like why can't I just make the correction and just submit it? They can see immediately whether it's good or not. So I think books will be another thing. Um, it's hard to predict what's next. I, I'm very excited about uh, the data science life cycle. We got another project called Meltano completely separate from GitLab, but we want to do the complete life cycle from kind of getting data from an API all the way to getting it in a dashboard, making sure that's all version control that you know, not only what the code is you used, but also what the modeling parameters were and and how where you got the data at what time, data providence, data governance. And then 
ML and AI are also really exciting because right now a lot of that is not version controlled, not governed correctly, but it's super hard to do. And I look forward to kind of innovating in that space. But the nice thing is we don't have to do everything. People take GitLab and they use it for other purposes. For example, O'Reilly Media, probably well-known in your audience, they use GitLab on the back end to write their books. And they wrote their own custom front end on it for their offers, but on the back end, it's GitLab. I wish they would open source that front end. They have. Oh, it's oh, it is open source. Okay. Yeah. So I can write. A, I can write a book on, on top of Git. Uh, you can. No one's hosting their software yet. It's pretty specific to them. I think it's great that they open sourced it. It's mm-hmm. called Atlas. You can find it on our partners page. But uh, I think the people of GitBook, although they're not using GitLab, I think they're doing a really great job and making it easy to write a book with Git. So that might be something you consider. Otherwise, publish a static website and use Git, GitLab pages. Okay, so you just casually mentioned um, you're going to go after like the data provenance, data science, AI, ML market. I mean, that's an example of a category where I did a show with Pachyderm uh, like three or four weeks ago he's been working on pachyderm for like four years and they're still just scratching the surface of the problem. I mean, they're very happy with where they're at, but I just use that as an example of, I mean, it's both why I, I, I like GitLab. You're an interesting company, but that seems it's an ambitious thing to just kind of casually throw out there. Do, do you, do you feel like your, your resources are pulled in, in too many directions right now? Like you, like, is it, is it a strain at all? Or do you feel like you're managing it in a way where it's like, yeah, we're just making a little bit of progress on that? Well, first of all, I think Pachyderm is doing an awesome job. And I think they're one of the few companies that like has a shot at like version controlling data. Git is useful for version controlling code. They can't version control data. And it's, it's hard to kind of know hey, I ran this analysis, but what were the exact versions? Um, I know uh, Joe and Joe uh, from Y Combinator. Uh, we were in the same batch. So oh, okay. I know how hard the problem is. Yes. Uh, I know how good they are on the Super Nintendo. Uh, they totally destroyed me. Um, <laughs> but um, it's a super hard problem. We're not going after that problem because I know how hard that is. Um, we go after a simpler problem where you just have an API, for example, Google Analytics or Salesforce, where you have data in that and you want to make a custom report. To do that, you have to extract that, load it in a database, apply some transformations, make a model of what you want to see, like say, oh, this is our definition of revenue, and then make sure that uh, gets outputted, displayed. Uh, you can use Jupyter Notebooks with it, and you orchestrate this transformation to happen on a regular basis. That's a more simple problem, and that's one we're solving with Maltano. And that's a team of seven people. We just had Danielle Morel join us. Oh, um, cool. And she's doing an awesome job of leading that team. And I think they're already doing things that would take you many, many hours with other tools. And with Meltano, you can do it in minutes. There's still a lot of work to be done. It's very rough around the edges right now. Uh, but they're going to fix that in a, in a matter of weeks. And uh, we have pretty high hopes uh, because we don't think it makes sense to use seven different tools to do all those steps. And, and we think there's a lack of a great open source offering in that space. And again, this is something that's that's um, closely tied with 
the core GitLab application, or is this something that's going to be like a, a, a different application? Yeah, this will be our second product, and it has mm-hmm. nothing in common with GitLab. We tried to use GitLab CI, but uh, the team didn't like it. They said Airflow is much better. So we're using Airflow, we're using DBT, we're using Singer, we're using all kinds of other open source projects, but uh, GitLab didn't make the list. So the team uh, decided against that. So we'll, we'll let them do their thing, and they need that freedom to to pick what's best for for that problem and it's a different space it's it's python not ruby and then there's there's different trade-offs that people have to make and we want to start simple like we started with gitlab okay so of all the products you could have chosen to run so i think this you know going after a second product sounds like it makes complete sense right now you've got an enterprise product that's got uh, really good revenue properties, uh, why not have a second product? Uh, of all things that you could have launched as the second product to go after, why the... I'm still having trouble understanding exactly what, what it is. The, the a, what is it? API request yeah, the, audit trail thing? Yeah, why, why go from the data lifecycle all the way from API to dashboard? Um, it was because I was surprised when we needed something like this. So GitLab's growing. We got more and more data. We wanted proper proper dashboards, proper reports to follow all of our performance indicators. I see. And first of all, it took me a while to just figure out what all the different steps are of a data pipeline. There's so much literature. Like, do you need still? Do you still need transformations if you have modeling? The answer is yes, but it's hard to understand. Then I finally had an idea of all the different steps. Then we looked at, okay, what's the best open source software for each step? That took a whole while, and there was just obvious gaps. And then integrating everything together was an enormous work. So between those three things, figuring out what the steps are, getting the software, and then integrating it, it took so much time. I was like, well, if other people are going to the same thing, like there's there's an obvious need for 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 something that's integrated that has the best open source integrated by default, and that's kind of opinionated about how you do this. So this, the problem is dashboarding w- w- explain it to me again sorry i'm slow no, on this no problem uh took me a while too um and i'm probably not doing a super good job of explaining it but the, the problem is you have some kind of data source for example you have salesforce and all your customer data in there is in there and you want to have a report of a certain type of like revenue by by like um, when they jo- when they first purchased and then by kind of region in the country. Just doing that and getting the data from Salesforce and maybe doing this for, for example, Google Analytics or something like that, it's it's hard. You need to clean up stuff. You need to get the data from the source in the first place. All those steps, you'd think that that'd be a few minutes, but it, mm. it, takes, it takes a couple of hours. Like the extraction and loader tools are not integrated with the transformation tools who are not integrated with the modeling tools and are not integrated with dashboarding and, and notebooks. And there's pretty great commercial solutions, but I do believe that open source is going to have a significant chunk of this market as well. Interesting. This is actually, it's a good point. Um, this is, and I can see the parallels between the core GitLab product and what you're trying to so- what is it called Multano? Meltano. Meltano. What does that mean? Model, extract, load, transform, analyze. Ah. Notebooks and orchestration. Okay. Okay, cool. Now yeah, that makes sense. Um because I've talked to 
a number of different companies who have a data platform. And in one sense, they want to treat it like a fully integrated thing, like Uber has a data platform and you can zoom out and it's got HDFS and Presto and Spark and all the different parts of it. Uh And it's got the OLTP database that they're taking all the data from and transforming it and then, you know, allowing other data scientists and stuff to, to run kinds of cool, you know, all kinds of cool jobs and dashboarding and stuff on it. So they want it to be like a fully integrated entity, but they also want it to be composable and they want to allow people to pull stuff out that doesn't fit for them and uh, replace it with something else. Sounds a lot like the core GitLab workflow for that other part of the software lifecycle. Exactly. And uh, we always want you to be able to not use a part of it, but I do think there's room for like a convention over configuration right. solution for the data space that just makes makes these steps easier to do. Right. Are there any any products that... Because I've done a bunch of shows about the quote-unquote data platform space, and it seems like a lot of people have that same sensation that there there should be an easier way. There should be a convention over configuration, and yet... Uh, I'm, there's there's a there's a few companies who I could say have kind of taken a stab at it. But are there any companies you you admire in this space? Uh, there's there's a lot of companies. One that come to mind right now is Datarama. Another one is Stitch Data, and I, I think they have great products. And Stitch, for example, they open source Singer. Uh, it's an uh, extract and load tool, and uh, we're using that as a part of uh, Meltano. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a go to market strategy for Meltano yet? Not yet. Right now, it's it's still very early days, so it's completely open source. And the first thing we want to see is more people using it. Okay. I want to get a feeling for your management strategy. Um, so first of all, for people who don't know, it's a remote organization. And I guess first question, um, you know, you've scaled up from uh, over the last year from how many? Yeah, I know you're at 500 employees now, but how many before that? Or a year ago, or a year and a half ago? Yeah, we, we last year we grew from like 200 to over 400. Okay. Did the remote model uh, have any issues? Did you have to do any any kind of adjustments to the to the remote model over that course of that doubling? Not really. Um, it made it a lot easier because we already had a lot of things written down. So it's much more. We're much more effective in onboarding new people because a lot of the knowledge is already there. Do you still interview every employee? I don't. I stopped at uh, Dunbar's and we're like 150 people with that. I still. It's either me or Carol uh, who reviews every last offer before it goes out the door. So we review the the hiring packet. How have the hiring processes changed? Uh, there's a much better division of of responsibility. So we have sources, we have recruiters, we have candidate experience specialists. We have a person who's almost specializing now in compensation. And we have a better idea of like the gearing ratios, like how many sources do we need for how many vacancies uh, so that we have enough capacity. So the last time I went through a hiring process for a tech company, it was this terrible Byzantine process of whiteboarding interviews and boring boilerplate questions. Every interview process I've ever gone through, in fact, that it, well, almost everyone has has followed that recipe. Do you do you follow that convention as well? Do you think that's the way to do programming interviews? Is that the best way we know? 
one of our sub-values is boring solutions. So we don't try to reinvent uh, the wheel. But okay. uh, in interviewing... Um, Not this wheel. In interviewing, we don't think that uh, a boring interview is, is very good. And, and we don't believe in whiteboarding. Uh, whiteboarding also is not great for hiring a uh, more diverse uh, set of people. What we do do, if you interview as a software engineer, you get to work on the actual problems. So we offer you to work on an actual feature in GitLab. If you don't want to do that because you feel like you're giving us free labor, that's fine. You can work on something else. We're not doing it for that reason. Uh, we, we actually spend a lot of time on, on guiding people there. Uh, but you, you're... If, if you like to, you can take up a real issue and then work with our engineers to try to solve that. So it's not a whiteboarding in- interview. It's doing the actual work interview. How do you divide up the teams within GitLab? So we have a functional organization. We have two products, GitLab and Maltano. Maltano is a team of seven. It's, it's kind of a cross-functional team, a typical kind of startup. The rest of GitLab is completely functional, not comparing our success to a company like Apple. But for example, Apple has the same thing where hey, there's a software and a hardware division and they they are responsible for their own parts. We think that's great because the advantage of a functional model is that you have a boss who really understands what you do day to day. And one of our values is results. And with results, we mean we measure your output, not your input. So we don't track your hours. You don't have to take permission to ask for permission to take a day off or to take vacation. But that means we do need a manager that understands how much you're producing because that's the way we manage the company. And that's been that's been great. And when we have something that requires a cross-functional set of people, we make a group, but there's no boss of that group. You each report to your individual manager. Hmm. What's the interaction between internal engineering teams at GitLab and the open source community? So we're really proud that we work in our open issue trackers. So everything we do except for uh, security vulnerabilities that were reported to us, everything else is on our issue trackers. And sometimes engineers who just joined GitLab are like, why, who's this person who's giving me all these instructions? I can find them on our team page. We're like, are you sure they're, they're part of the team? Because sometimes they're just a very enthusiastic user who, who has an opinion about what, uh, what a person is doing. What's your approach to senior leadership structure? Yeah, we have an executive team. We, we try to keep it simple. So we have people responsible for like sales or marketing, engineering, product, people or finance or alliances. And it's very important to me that uh, it's pretty clear what each person is accountable for. So, for example, product is responsible for planning what we're going to make and when we'll make it. Engineering is how we'll make it and delivering uh, with a lot of velocity, a lot of features at the feature velocity. Marketing is responsible for generating pipeline. Sales is responsible for closing that pipeline. And that leads, for example, you have a question whether sales development representatives, people that reach out to companies, whether they should be under marketing or sales. Well, they help to build pipelines, so they're on their marketing in GitLab, which means that marketing can make the trade-off to whether to hire more SDRs or to invest more in a, an advertising campaign. Tell me about how your perspective of uh, investors and investment capital has changed in the last couple of years. Um, I had a few preconceptions before 
I came to the valley, I read a lot of blogs. I'm I'm still a big fan of like DHH and people like that. And uh, I told my wife like if if I want to raise external capital after Y Combinator, like stop me. And <laughs> she saw the transformation uh, during Y Combinator, and it's um, if we wanted to have to succeed, it's easier to not raise venture capital because your odds of success go down from ninety percent to ten percent. But it turns out I was really into just doing something interesting. And and if you want to do something interesting and, and, and strive for to build a really big company, in order to hire the people you need for that, those people want stock options. You cannot hire great talent in the Valley without giving out stock options. And then those stock options have to be worth something someday. And it's better sooner than later. So you got to grow really, really fast. And to do that, you need money. So I kind of figured it out. And I've been surprised with how great investors are. Uh, maybe we're lucky because we've been a successful company, but it's um, almost every investor, even the ones that like declined us, has been very thoughtful and kind and attentive. Uh, even when we weren't a big, or, or even when we were still starting up. So the, the level of knowledge and professionalism really surprised me. And uh, yeah, there's... <laughs> There's, for example, we have an investment from Kosla Ventures. It's uh, run by Vino Kosla. The guy is like a multi-billionaire. He can do whatever he wants. And at one point during a negotiation, I asked him for, like, hey, can we, what should we do here? Uh, and I was like, the other venture firm wants XYZ. And I said, well, he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, oh, I think we should do it. He's like, okay, they're wrong, but I'll let you do it anyway. <laughs> so... I went back to our lawyer. I'm like, you you told me this was the venture firm XYZ was right. Like, we better call everyone to figure out what's, because this, this guy, Vinod, is an expert. So we called everyone, and it turns out Vinod was exactly right. Um, but he, he, like, proved an unreasonable demand just of pragmatism, like wanting to support the company, wanting to support the leaders. And I think that's great. I think it's great if you can make that distinction uh, so venture capital is very counterintuitive and, and I respect a lot how people do that. Uh, when we were racing with GitLab in the beginning, I pitched someone at a valuation of $7 million. And it went so well that I, for the next pitch or second pitch, I, I increased the valuation to $9 million. I was like, $7 million is too little. They were so enthusiastic. <laughs> and then they ended up passing. And uh, luckily we closed some of the others. And then two weeks later, they come back and they say, I, I couldn't sleep about this. I, was, I, I want to invest. I was like, that's great, but do you realize what the valuation is now? He's like, yeah. I said, it's 15 million. It's more than double. He said, yeah, I realize. We still want to invest. At that point, he took kind of a loss to what he could have done. Like you, that, sure. money, that money relative to the alternative yeah. lost. And I think it's psychologically really strong that you can get over that and still make the investment. Has the value of Y Combinator scaled as the size of your company has scaled? Or is Y Combinator, do you feel like it's an institution that's disproportionately valuable for an early stage company? They had the biggest impact on us when when we started. We wouldn't be here today uh, where we are without their help. It's great if you're technical co-founders like we were. 
it's 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 like it's ideal for that you learn a lot about marketing about sales and what they also added to us is, is a sense of ambition we were planning to be a company of 20 people in five years and at y culminate it's like no hey, you should only stay in the valley if you want to be a billion dollar company and also we started to iterate much faster because all the other people in our group were going much faster than we were so there's kind of a healthy peer peer pressure to start iterating faster. I do think that Y Combinator is getting better and better at giving value later on. So they now have an A round thing. They have a growth thing where they help these companies through these stages and that's looking to be very successful. So they, they'll keep adding value. Uh, but for us, the, the biggest thing we got out of it was seeing our peers and seeing how much faster they were moving. And we were like, wow, you can move yeah. that fast. <laughs> so we drove back home and told our our co-workers like we, we got to up our game here and it's not that we started working way more hours it's more that we said okay instead of a three-month plan what can we do next week that will have an impact and that was something that really changed what we did and that's where our iteration value came from okay last uh last question i have been intrigued for a while about the uh github for x type space so GitHub for artists, GitHub for musicians. You know, I don't know if you've seen the company Splice, but is a GitHub for musicians attempt. Um, most of these don't seem to work. There seems to be something. Either it's it's the technology of Git, or it's the um, the characteristic of the software engineer role that makes uh, large scale decentralized collaboration work particularly well for software engineers do you think it's like it doesn't it surprise you that there's not more collaboration on the internet over artists um musicians people who are not programmers why do you think that is i think a huge part of that is a, is a technical reason you can only do distributed version control if you can merge things back together so if something is a binary like a photoshop file or like a, a sound file you can never merge those back together and you end up with garbage. So you need like a, a human readable file of like the information. And that's not available for a lot of things. If you edit a movie right now, that editing information, if you can even get it separate, it will just be binary. You can never merge it back or, or make a suggestion to it. So that's a technical reason. I think the other reason is that a lot of these things are not truly distributed. They're a SaaS service. Uh, where you all have to be on that platform. And I think a big thing of Git is you can just pick up your bags and, and if, you, if you join GitLab, you can just run the GitHub import and we can import everything, all your Git repos, and we can even do issues and milestones and everything else. I think that makes people a lot more comfortable with adopting something like it. But I, I do think there's some awesome collaboration tools. Uh, a company that's also all remote and uh, even bigger than us is uh, Envision. And, and sure. they seem to be very successful sure. with their collaboration software for designers. Absolutely. Sid, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great talking. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Wow. Wow.